0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. I have a new article out on my Substack about Syria. And uh, the message basically is that uh, while Syria's Arab neighbors are re engaging, uh, readmitting Syria back to the Arab League, there's one party that is uh, not willing to move on from the 10 year war, and that is a country very far away from Syria, the U.S which is insisting on maintaining these uh, sadistic sanctions that deny Syrians the right to live, uh, that deny reconstruction, uh, that deny basic necessities, that deny medical parts uh, to hospitals. And um, to me, this episode just reveals really who the driving force was behind the Syrian war um, in terms of foreign actors. Because if everybody else is willing to move on but one party is not, then you have to wonder um why is this one party the US so stubborn and if you read US officials what they say it's pretty clear they're they're angry that Syria was able to defeat the US side and uh that Syria exists outside of US control and accordingly they want to punish Syria for it they don't they don't um hide that fact uh, even while they claim to speak in the name of the Syrian people which is just so ridiculously ironic when their policies of sanctions hurt the Syrian people so that's what I go through in my latest piece. It's up in my subsack. It's called As Arab States Seek Peace, U.S. Insists that Syrians Suffer. Meanwhile, um, there's a new article in the Washington Post which says that it's based on U.S. leaks from the Pentagon, uh, which basically says that, uh, Zelensky attacks deep inside of Russian territory, uh, even as the Ukrainian government has said that it would not attack inside Russia uh, with, with U.S. weapons. And what these leaks reveal is that that's not true because Zelensky in private has been plotting to attack Russia, uh, including with the use of Western weapons. And um, the fact that these leaks are appearing, you know, this could just be, you know, a good faith effort on the Washington Post part to report on the leaks they've received. But also I wonder if, You know, if U.S. officials are encouraging stories like this, I wonder if this is a part of an effort to throw Zelensky under the bus uh, if a peace deal is eventually made. And there are increasing signs that, you know, if Ukraine can't sufficiently bleed Russia in their counteroffensive, then the U.S. will basically um, uh, encourage Ukraine to make a peace deal. Which underscores the futility of this entire war because, again, this was never about helping Ukraine put off a... Existential threat. This was about prolonging the war for as long as possible to bleed Russia. And um, only when the job can't be done anymore is when it's, it appears the U.S. will embrace peace. It just seems very silly. And um, underscoring the sort of U.S. hostility or indifference to peace, let, let me play a clip. Recent Senate hearing. Uh, this is Senator Jackie Rosen talking about what she calls. China in brokering peace deals worldwide, uh, including potentially inside Ukraine.
1: Rapidly increased its engagement around the world. It includes brokering, actually trying to broker troubling agreements between, uh, to reestablish diplomatic ties between Iran and Saudi Arabia, offering to broker peace deals uh, between Ukraine and the Russian aggressors. So these incidents, they highlight China's persistent presence and intention to exert its influence and match the US as a global power. So how can the US address China's increasing involvement in global diplomatic matters? And can we expect to see more countries try to turn to China as a mediator? And what do you think the implications of this pivot would mean to us? Thank you, Senator. uh, It's a very thoughtful question.
0: So, again, that's Senator Rosen basically saying that peace is troubling, that China's trying to broker what she calls troubling agreements between Iran and Saudi Arabia and also inside Ukraine as well. So that's the attitude. Peace is troubling uh, from from the U.S. And I love it when they admit it. Okay, uh, let's go to our first caller, uh, CR.
2: Hey, Aaron. Happy Sunday to you. Happy Sunday to you man you kind of uh touched on before you said it before i was gonna say it was uh um yeah i'm a little kind of my first thing is yes i i've been doing with basically everything now in this day and age just immediately does it pass the smell test yeah and 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 a lot of these leaks you know quote unquote um like i mean you know some of them it's like do we really call it leaks or is it you know it's, it's just you know controlled dissemination of information and even how accurate that information is again too is right, up, up for interpretation. Uh, 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 um, and, and a lot of people with the, uh, the recent league too said, hey, what's a 21-year-old National Guardsman having access to these top secret documents, right? Uh-huh. And, and, and and so obviously that's the surface level argument. Everybody kind of goes that, and everybody argues that back and forth. And you're like, oh, well, the thing that kind of immediately doesn't pass a smell test for me with like a lot of this kind of stuff is, is if these secrets are so important they'll tell us that when they're leaked, they go, oh, this person leaking these documents, they're dangerous. These are very important secret documents. They're so dangerous that they can't be leaked that we have to prosecute these people that leak these documents. Uh-huh. But yet at the same time, it also appears that our government will just fucking give access to these very, very dangerous documents to any 21 year old that passes whatever, you know, you know what I mean? So you can't have it both ways you can't have it where these documents are super super secret and dangerous and nobody can leak them but yet they seem to always be leaking and by very (laughs) young people that where you would think right just from the smell test what's a 21 year old doing having access to these things that are super super dangerous super secret nobody can have them so you know if they get out oh my god you you know you know what i'm saying like so all this this is kind of like the I feel like the narrative that they're doing now is kind of crumbling. And, I, and what I wanted to ask you about that was, do you feel that independent media is doing any good there? Because I kind of feel like it's starting to kind of puncture the bubble a little bit, you know, where before they were able to always spin anything, but now with the internet, you know, and, and we can take screenshots of stuff, even if you delete it, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, um, do, do you think that we're getting anywhere? Because I kind of feel like that narrative is starting to break where they can't just, you know uh they can't just just selectively leak and just kind of control the whole flow of information.
0: It's a good question. I, I do think things are a bit more free now and that you do have um you know more like uncaptured sources and independent media. At the same time though, I've never seen the establishment media be so orwellian in their adherence to the state line. You know, it's just like Uh, You know, for example, like, like look at Nord Stream and how long it took anyone to even acknowledge the existence of Seymour Hersh's reporting, you know, so it's like, I do think, yes, it's like, it's kind of, uh, it's, there's a, there's an, there's like a, there's a causal thing there where the freer independent media gets the more sort of um, uniform establishment media gets. And, uh, but yeah, and in terms of the point you raised about this leaker. It's it's it, I I totally get why it raises questions. Like if this stuff was so secret, how could a you know a weekend warrior, a national guardsman, have access to them? Um, but what I you know, but there could be a sort of a, a benign explanation, which is that sim- simply someone above that national guardsman was really 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 sloppy, and uh, for example, maybe gave. This guy, if he was the leaker, um, you know, like sort of like documents to to discard as part of a normal process to get rid of documents. And he just and didn't do proper safeguards. And then this young man just happened to keep what he was supposed to throw away. You know, I don't know. Uh, there's, so anything's possible. Right. But would that
2: that explanation also then imply that they're again being frivolous with these things that they want to turn around and tell us that we have to lock up Snowden. We have to lock up Assange. We have to lock up with this kid. We have to lock up all these people. And I don't, to me, that's the part that doesn't vibe. Right. Again, how can this keep happening since you guys have better protocols at this point, like, you know, to what you're saying, even your most benign, I'll give you the best, you know, I, 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 you know, you're, you sound to me like you're trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. And even when I hear that benefit of the doubt argument, it still sounds to me like, no, you're fucking up. Are you stupid? Or are you ignorant? <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, fair point. Certainly it's a massive lapse. And, um, it, um, I, I, I the, the official story, uh, I, I totally get why people question it. Cause it, it just seems so improbable that some solo level would have access to that kind of stuff, which is like, you know, which is, it's so much material too. Um, and so much has been, has been revealed. And, you know, some of it has, has I think furthered us objectives, but some of it hasn't like, and um, it's, uh, it's really interesting. And, um, you know, I haven't followed, you know, there's, uh, there's been a bunch of stories about the background of the alleged leaker, which I haven't been able to read, but, um it's 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 quite possible it's totally quite possible that there's more to this than than we're being told
2: and, and just another just another quick because i know you gotta get, get out of the way for everybody else but uh, uh did you see the uh somebody posted a screenshot it kind of got a little bit of traction on twitter recently of uh, a tweet from the defense ministry of ukraine back in 2018 uh warning of uh vladimir uh, Zelensky and being a puppet of NATO and like, we, we can't vote for this guy. I, I, I was just wondering if you, if you happen to see that, if
0: you, I did see if that. I, I did see that, but I wasn't sure if it was authentic or not. That's the same
2: thing. I, I'm like, I'm like, oh, if this is real, it's damning. But at the other time I, I'm at, I'm at this level where I just, I can't, accept, you know what I mean? We're at this. So I'm just curious if you saw that and if that test
0: or not. Yeah, no, I, I thought I just, but I immediately just couldn't be sure it was real. And so, and I, yeah. you know, the problem with this stuff is like, you, you, like you have to conduct a, like a mini research project like a million times a day if you're <laughs> if you're going off what you see on the internet. And you know, for example, there was a clip that went that went viral a while ago of Zelensky when he was um, shortly after he took office, and he said something like, it was he was saying something like, "I'm the president of war," and you know, you you people in the Donbass, you won't be able to. To, uh, to live, and I'm going to, you know, order troops to go to come and wipe you up, basically. And so, you know, people were sharing that clip to say that, like, Zelensky has always been this warmonger, right, from the start. But actually, what happened was, if you, if you watch the full clip in context, which I went and did, he was actually saying that people elected me to be the president of peace. And what they don't want is a president who was going to be the president of war. And that's, but the part where he's talking about being a president of war, that's the part that was clipped out. So that's an example of like a deceptive edit to um ostensibly make Zelensky look bad, but really, I mean, whoever did it, I thought was really it's like not only being dishonest but also being politically really stupid because really the fact that Zelensky was once talking about making peace and rejecting war shows how boxed in he is by his own far right because you know as, as I've written about a lot, it was the far right that actually didn't want to make peace, and that eventually pressured him enough along with Washington. To abandon his own peace mandate. So anyway, that's just exactly. an example of uh, of how like things on the that go viral, especially on this issue of Ukraine. You have to really.
2: On the same clip that that where he was being interviewed.
0: Yeah, he's he's with a he set a table like like with a bunch of journalists, and, and um, he's saying
2: like, we're Russians and Ukrainians are brothers. We share the same blood. It doesn't yeah. matter. If he,
0: sounds like right. he sounds like Putin. He sounds like Putin. Oh, well, yeah, you know exactly. what? Actually, I was going what? like,
2: oh my god, is this a deep fake? I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even tell yeah. anymore, but thank you, Aaron, so much. I, I really appreciate that there are competent people like you out there that can help <laughs> some of us kind of navigate through this this nightmare of, uh, uh, we'll just say, sea of uh, uh, counter-information that everybody's out there. On. So I appreciate <laughs> well, your work.
0: Thank, thank you. Sir. I pre- thank you, appreciate that. Okay. Sam.
3: Hey, Aaron. How's your son?
0: Hey there. How, how's it going?
3: Oh, I can't complain. How about you?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine.
3: Um, so, uh, no, I was going to say, uh, I'll definitely check out your article on Substack. Um, but I think that's kind of one of the reasons why the Arab leagues were pushing for the Saudis to, uh, to normalize ties with Syria. Ideally, from what I understand in a few of the articles I read, you know, from overseas, uh, uh, newspapers they were trying to say like if the saudis can use their influence on the u.s to lift the sanction is is kind of the uh, ideal i don't know how much they're going to be able to get but i think it's kind of like a you know if you uh if you could lift the sanctions i don't think they'll leverage the oil but i think that's like what the goal of the other arab countries are to try to get the saudis to like use some of its leverage on the u.s to try and lift the sanctions or at the very least have the U.S. move out of the uh the oil region of Syria.
0: Yeah, I mean, great questions. I just think like when I listen to policymakers and lawmakers in Washington talk about Syria, they're such like bitter. they're so bitter and vindictive. And they just they seem to take glee in punishing ordinary civilians for the fact that the U.S. side was defeated or, or didn't achieve its full objective of regime change. They're so bitter. And like, look what they've done to Cuba for like 60 years. This small little island that happened to disobey U.S. orders. You know, th- that embargo is still around today for like, for something that happened back in whatever, like when was the Cuban Revolution in the early 1960s? It's, yeah, 60. Washington is so spiteful and bitter and they're all like, um, like there's a clip from Senator Jim Reese here, I'll find it. He said something like, "basically, like this has to go." Like, this, this is like I think a, a year and a half ago now. He said basically about Syria. He's like, "This isn't over. This has to go on." Um, and, and uh, he, yeah, yeah. i uh, here it is. This is back in uh yeah. This was um. This is back in June, twenty twenty two. Listen to what he says. Yeah,
1: this what we're going through in Ukraine is is somewhat like this. Now, we can't have this thing end just as what's happened in Syria, where, like you pointed, the hostilities have cranked down. But we can't have this end and say, OK, it's over. No, it's not over. This will never be over uh, until the people are held to account uh, for what they've done. And uh, we're a long, long ways away from that. I, I think the one case I, I referred to in Germany is, is merely scratching the surface. But uh, th- this is something that's uh, got to go on for a long time. So,
0: I, so you hear that? This is something. And what he means is like this prolonged war and conflict and these sanctions have to go on for a long time. It's not over. And he, and he frames it in the language of accountability because we have to hold Syrian officials accountable for their war crimes. Well. What he leaves out is that Syria, he he wants to hold Syria accountable for violence and atrocities that occurred while Syria was fighting off the most well-armed insurgency, probably in history. Um, And the fact that Syria was able to do that was able to defeat the insurgency that Reesh and his allies were arming. That means that that they're people who have nothing to do with the war. Like, you know, Syrian people suffering under sanctions weren't making like battlefield decisions and... They're not, the gov- they're not the leaders of their country. They have to suffer because, of course, sanctions don't hurt the, the Assad government at all. Um, they hurt their Aaron, people. We,
3: we make exception for the medicine and food, as Rokhan pointed out. We, 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 we always yeah. have that humanitarian exception. But, I mean, I think personally you're, you're not being fair to the senator or, or the U.S. I mean, if, if this was to be over, think about the people like Charles, Charles Lister. What would he do for a job? You know, by, by yeah. having this continue on, you got the think tanks that still get funded. You got Charles. You got what, – what was that basement dwelling guy? The, you know, the uh, – I, I became an expert from playing Call of Duty. Uh-huh. Yeah. Allie uh, um, Higgins, cat. yeah. Higgins, yeah. Cat. Belling, what What about him? He'd have to go back to living in his mom's basement. Can you live with that, Aaron? Can you live with knowing that he'd go back to living in a basement playing Call of Duty? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty mean, Aaron. I mean, yeah. the poor guy.
0: Imagine that. Imagine that. He's still yeah.
3: like, people genuinely, when I explain that to them, somebody referenced cat once, and I was like, you mean the guy who literally said I got my expertise from playing video games? They are like, that's not true. And I have to pull up the New York Times article and go here, and they go, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> literally his education, yeah. and he gets to go on 60 Minutes. And I was like, well, don't let anyone ever tell you playing a video game doesn't amount to anything.
0: That's right. It's such a funny story. I mean, literally – this person who's charted out there. For those who don't know, we're talking about Elliot, um, Elliot Higgins at Bellingcat, and Bellingcat's always cited as this, like, you know, is this like digital journalism outfit that just uses open sources to find the truth. And what's left out is that the U.S. government and the U.K. government fund them uh, and probably direct their work. Uh, but anyway, so in a New York Times profile of Elliot Higgins, the founder of Bellingcat, it literally, it literally says, "Mr. Higgins, Mr. here I'll find the lines, uh, so just so people realize we're not joking." Um, it's, it's so, so funny. Um, and and it's, it's so, it's just an example of how like the biggest, the biggest fraud.
3: He didn't even go to college to my knowledge. He wasn't military. He literally did nothing and just played video games.
0: Here we go. Mr. Higgins attributed his skill, not to any special knowledge of international conflicts or digital data, but to the hours he had spent playing video games, which he said, Gave him the idea that any mystery can be cracked. I mean, that, that's that's an actual line from the New York Times, and they're and they're and they're not mocking him; they're being serious. So anyway, um, that's what we're dealing with. It's a ridiculous world, <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, that the, the, those are the people who are relied on to help justify sanctions on Syria. Is is Higgins will say there was a chemical attack, and we 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 can prove Syria did it. And if you don't believe me, well, guess what? I played a lot of I play a lot of video games, so that's okay. why we have. To- that's why we have to deny Syrians food and medicine.
3: And Charles is also going to be there to go, well, these guys are not Al Qaeda. I mean, sure, they might have beheaded a, a kid, but, you know, they're the fun type of Al Qaeda.
0: Yeah, Char- that's Charles Lister's job. And, you know, what's amazing about him is he just he wrote something this week, so he's livid. Charles Lister is this, is this uh, D.C. think tanker who's livid that Syria's neighbors are daring to reengage, you know, to actually make peace with their neighbor. Because, by the way... Being at war with your neighbors, you know it's also very costly at home. you have it means that you have all these refugees uh, inside Syria's neighboring states and also trade suffers like Jordan Jordan, for example, has lost billions of dollars uh, because it's been forced to cut off Syria and finally, because Jordan is now saying, forget it like this this is we're done with this. now people like Charles Lester are freaking out and this is what he writes. Charles Lester writes he says, since the late 1990s. The Syrian regime has embedded, within, manipulated, and weaponized jihadists to further its own domestic and foreign policy agendas. Well, the Syrian insurgency that Charles Lister shielded for for years and was basically a lobbyist for was dominated by jihadists, and his job was to go before Western audiences and Western governments and say that these are moderate rebels and they've, you know, th- this this jihadist group they're they're moderates now. And mean, meanwhile. They were doing things like beheading children, you know? And so these are the so-called experts who we have to rely on. And then they have the gall. He has the gall to say that Syria is weaponizing jihadists when his whole existence is based on whitewashing and weaponizing jihadists to overthrow a government and all and cause all the you know catastrophic consequences that 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 that, that leads to.
3: But I mean wait, correct me if I'm wrong, and I remember somebody wrote an article about it, but like he went to Syria a total of two times in his life. The first, I think one, once.
0: I think, once. I think, I think anyway, maybe I twice.
3: Think, yeah, yeah, it was twice because the first time he went, he stayed at like a hotel and he talked about the cultural experience he had. This is like yep. in 2009. And the second time he goes, he has a photo with these two guys, like one on his left, one on his right. And I forget which one's which, but one of them uh, on the, in that photo ends up becoming like the, the fourth highest ranking member in, in Al Qaeda. And the other one later became, like, one of the higher-ranking members of ISIS. And You he might was, be mixing they, him up
0: with Michael Weiss. Is that possible? Oh, it's yeah. Weiss. It's yeah. Weiss. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry.
3: They, they, they merged together yeah. so hard. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Weiss's defense was, well, if we had armed them earlier, they wouldn't have. And it's like, you don't see a problem in that line of thinking, do you? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm yeah. I'm sure uh, we're going, yeah. but... Yeah. And, and, now, Michael, and now, Michael, see, so, so like, that's a good example of, like, how... Just callous these people are towards the people they claim to speak for. So Michael Weiss, for a long time, his big cause was Syria. His big thing was whitewashing the Syrian rebels. That failed, right? It didn't work out. Um, uh, and so now they just move on. And now his big thing is Ukraine. Now he's like doing the same thing with Ukraine, basically lobbying for an increased proxy war. So all of them just move on. They help destroy a country, and then when it's over, they just move on to like like the next hustle.
3: Well, if it's any constellation, when he wrote a book, I remember seeing like it like being, trying to being offloaded at Barnes and Nobles for like. Five dollars, like just no one was buying it. They literally had like a pile of it, just trying to get rid of it. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I put an article uh, these guys wrote a while back. Um, if anyone's interested, I put in the chat. It was like showing who these think tank people are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's from some. Uh, I think these guys are like ex special forces or something. But like they wrote a whole detailed about how insane these these think tank people are. I put I posted in the chat. So if anyone's interested, but.
0: Oh, hey, uh, and there's a and there's a quote from somebody oh, – I can't remember who it was. He said, these people have gotten a lot of people killed. And it was – you know who it was? It, w- it was Brett McGurk. Brett McGurk, who is now the uh, – he's now the – he's now a, a senior official under Biden for the Middle East.
3: Was it Brett McGurk, the one and, who said it's the largest al- al-Qaeda
0: we've ever seen in the and- – Brett McGurk also said that Idlib is the largest al-Qaeda safe haven since 9-11. Yes, he did say that. And what he said about think tank people like Charles Lester, he said these people got a lot of people killed. Yeah. Uh, Which is a really accurate way to describe these people. And um, somehow they still managed to speak in public. It's pretty amazing. Uh, Thanks, Sam, for the call.
4: Till
3: next week.
0: Till next week. All righty. Neoliberal tears.
4: Howdy, Aaron. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Um, so you actually, um, made me have like an intrusive flashback to Susan Rice, you know, um, now that she's leaving the, um, the National Security Council. Did you, do you remember her article at the Atlantic, um, when she was talking about Syria and how there were like bad options and worse options? That was like the framing.
0: I don't remember that, no.
4: Okay. So she like talked about how, um, uh, uh, when Obama was considering a military strike after the chemical weapon thing, um, she was basically the only one pushing for, um, a, a military strike. And Obama decided to wait for congressional approval. So in the entire article is just about her, like, you know, seething and she's talking about, like, like it, the first line is, you're shitting me, right? Um, because she really wanted it um wow. and i just uh yeah and she was talking about how the you know like the chemical weapons thing being a red line and there was just a lot of urgency so i feel bad for her um do you want do you think that like is that the reason why they put susan and neuratand in sort of in the domestic side are they trying to keep them off of like <laughs> the nuclear codes or um it, like uh i don't know what do you think
0: Uh, you know, I, I thought that was interesting how, uh, Biden gave, he gave Susan Rice and Samantha Power jobs, but, um, Susan Rice got a job on the domestic front and, uh, yeah, I was wondering if if that was like, because she was such a, uh, a neocon that she, the Biden didn't want her near foreign policy, but then, but you look at who else he appointed Jake Sullivan, Anthony Blinken uh, Victoria Newland. I mean, these are like just diehard neocons. So I think Susan Rice getting that job was probably just maybe she wanted that position Uh, because certainly Biden hasn't kept the neocons away.
4: Jake is so disappointing to me. Like, didn't he write that article, like, uh, neoliberalism falls apart or something? I I hoped I had, I, I had hopes I shouldn't have had, but like, um, you know, he wrote that article in foreign policy about like, you know, the vision for like, you know, we need a new, like a vision besides neoliberalism. And then here we are. Um, yeah, but, uh, I was gonna, I, w- I was also gonna bring up, um, one of the greatest public intellectuals, um, Meghan McCain. Um, when I, I just remember when she went on the view, um, with it's one of my favorite shows. But like she was when Tulsi Gabbard was there, I remember Megan being so animated about Bashar al-Assad, which she never has been before. Like, but she but she was like uh really obsessed with the chemical weapons thing, um, in ways that I've never seen Megan McCain ever feel passionately about. Like Saudi Arabia, like pick a country. Um, you know, so I think I think there was a lot of father there, you know, just the the image of chemical weapons, I think, too um w- w- was um yeah so uh anyway i posted the 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 susan rice article in the chat um you know she was uh you know saying like you know how stunned she was that we didn't you know strike syria immediately and you know um anyway um I'm-
0: well megan you know mccain is the father of john mccain who i, I mean as I was talking about with Sam, the previous caller, John McCain he traveled over to Syria and met with uh, rebels, and some of them turned out to be um, members of Al Qaeda or some other kind of jihadist group. And so Megan, I'm sure, was very inspired by her father, who she loves to talk about constantly. Um, yeah, look, <laughs> it's like this is, I mean, every 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 kind of uh, US uh, interventionist deception has like this fake human rights component to it, where, pe- where people pretend to care about about the suffering of the foreign populations. And that's why, of course, we have to bomb their countries and impose murderous sanctions. Um, and so this the, the chemical weapons thing is a huge part of that. If you read every article now on Syria and, uh, you know, they have to acknowledge that, yeah, sure, we're imposing these sanctions that are destroying the country's economy and people are suffering. But basically, uh, the way they justify it is they always say the Syrian government gassed its own people, gassed its own people. And... Um, just as they can't sort of acknowledge the, um, the contradiction between claiming to speak for the Syrian people and out of concern for the Syrian people, but imposing policies that massively harm their human rights, like denying people food and medicine is a huge violation of human rights, just as they, as they can't really grapple with that contradiction. They also can't grapple with all the facts that undermine their allegations. So, you know, with all the stuff I've done about the chemical weapons stuff, it's just so clear now that in all the major cases, uh, the allegations are undermined by leaks, a lot of leaks. Uh, in my ca- in my you know, my story, Duma. There's the OPCW leaks. In the case of Guta, 2013, there's the reporting of Seymour Hirsch. and there's even people in the Obama administration who leaked claims that the intelligence was not a slam dunk, and they did that deliberately to draw a comparison between Iraq WMDs and Syria chemical weapons. And so, in case mm-hmm. after case, this is it's just apparent that this is. A deception, but that's why uh, established media is just—it's never even acknowledged.
4: Yeah, and, uh, and, and you know that—that that point you made about the the weaponization of human rights—that's such a big thing. Like, because I see it all the time too. Like, you see people like Jamie Raskin going on TV and saying, like, you know, we need to save these gay people in Russia. Like, you know, they—they need us. Like, they—we need to liberate them. And it, it goes back to like, you know, imperialism through feminism and like all of these like, you know, you're the barbaric nation and we're gonna, you know, bring progressivism to you. Like while ignoring human rights abuses for gay people in Saudi Arabia or like, you know, any other Qatar, any other country that's our ally, pick one. Um, Israel does pink washing too. I mean, there, it's a big club. Um, but yeah, I think just the idea of like playing on people's heartstrings and like human, you know, like, you know, children and like, you know, all of, like it's, it's so perverse to me and hypocritical, like you said. And um, uh, but yeah, thank you for being here with us.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Mark.
1: Hey, uh, Aaron. Um. I want to thank you again for the reporting you've done on Syria and the chemical weapons. It's uh, it's such a crime, you know. Syria is, uh, you know, 15 years ago, they would have eight, 10 million tourists a year, a big part yeah. of their income. And because Damascus is one of the oldest settled places in the world, yeah, and the whole area is unbelievably fascinating and now that now that tourism is nothing and they get nothing, and uh you know our it's such a criminal act what we have with these sanctions not only on syria but uh you know i heard on jimmy door now it's uh from some report that it was 29 percent of the world were
0: sanctioning that's <laughs> right like that's
1: right we We've gone crazy. Yeah.
0: It's unbelievable. Yep, that's a new report from uh, CEPR, the Center for Economic Policy Research. They found uh-huh. that 29 percent of global GDP is under Western-led sanctions. Twenty nine percent. That's it's just, uh, and it's totally normalized. It's it's such a brilliant way of like dominating the world and making people suffer. Because you don't send any troops, so no U.S. troops come home um, in body bags. Uh, you don't f- even fire any bullets. All it is is with a stroke of the pen. You can ruin people's lives and help control the world. It's it's such a it, – it works so well. Like, it's so sadistic. Uh, and from the point of view of someone trying to rule the world, it works so brilliantly well.
1: It's the equivalent of siege warfare. Yep. And it's a war crime. Yeah. Yep. But listen, the reason I called was to talk to you about I saw your you and Katie Halper's interview with Ray McGovern. Mm-hmm. And you're so good on useful it, it is. I think that's just a fabulous show. Uh I think of you as the Buzz Saw and the Red Diaper Baby. Okay. <laughs> Although uh, you know, uh, she's I mean, that's my generation, red diaper baby. It's sure. Maybe her parents were red diaper babies, but uh uh-huh. uh so I wanted to ask you if you uh, had given any consideration, were convinced, or were going to look further into Ray McGovern's claim that uh, JFK was going to withdraw troops from Vietnam. Because I know you've read Hirsch and Chomsky and the dark side of Camelot and all of that. And there's no question he was a Cold Warrior Coming into the presidency, right? He had yeah. the big missile gap that was a total lie and all of that. But mm-hmm. um, this uh, book uh, that uh, McGovern mentioned, JFK: and The Unspeakable, I think mm-hmm. is is very persuasive. It, you know, it, one of the interesting things to me that this book showed was that JFK carried on a secret uh, conversation with both Khrushchev and. Uh, Castro uh, that was aided by uh, Norman Cousins and Pope John the 23rd and so forth. And uh, so I'm just wondering if you've rethought your position.
0: Well, listen, the problem is I haven't done my own research yet to, to really explore it. But I will say that it is interesting to me that, you know, on this one issue where so many people who I'm in alignment with, so many friends of mine, like, um, you know, like Max Blumenthal and, uh, and, and Ray McGovern and, and so many people who, uh, you know, are, are part of my audience and, and community, everyone seems to really feel strongly that, yes, indeed, as you say, that JFK was going to withdraw from Vietnam and that they suspect that was a factor in his being murdered. Um, and uh, it's interesting to me, I just, you know, I'm so, I'm, I'm admittedly very biased. I'm, I'm very pro-Chomsky because he played such a huge role in my uh, sort of um, intellectual development and my understanding of how to view the world, like just from a very, very young age. So whatever he ri- whatever he writes, I just haven't, I have an inherent trust of. Um, and so reading his book, rethinking Camelot, and then also uh, reading Cy Hirsch's the dark side of Camelot, those two books were very influential on me. So it, it's it's hard for me to imagine that they got it wrong, but I'm certainly open to it, especially when so many close friends of mine and, and so many people who who I come across who like my work and who, you know, who, who are informed like yourself seem to really think so. So I'm certainly open to it. And I I will definitely read that book that Ray mentioned. I just, um, I just, you know, what I haven't done is I, I, I think Chomsky might've even done a rebuttal to that book unless I got it wrong. And I, I like to read that as well. So I don't know. I'm certainly open to it. I'm open to anything. It's look, like we're talking about something from 60 years ago. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very it's very easy for people to get history wrong and for things to change. Like, like just this week, for example, it was revealed that Malcolm X's biographer totally doctored what uh, what Dr. King said about Malcolm X, or was it was it about what Malcolm X? It was about what what either Dr. King or Malcolm X said about the other. And Alex Haley. Malcolm X's biographer has been shown by another historian who's written a new book about Dr. King to have basically completely omitted what was actually said in the service of his own interest. And Alex Haley was kind of, he was a conservative and um, he's previously faced allegations of sort of doctoring Malcolm X's autobiography, which Haley worked on um, to suit his own agenda. So anyway, it just shows that you know, history can very easily be manipulated. And so I'm I'm, I'm open to anything. And uh, I'm very curious to follow up on what Ray said about this book, JFK, and the Unspeakable.
1: Okay. Um, Yeah, I have to uh, agree that I, um, I I, uh, uh, am very much a fan of Chomsky, even in in his later years, he seems to be a bit unhinged, but, uh, uh, you know, his uh, contribution to the, dialogue has been so you know uh, uh so true and so uh, powerful um but um i so all, all right i guess that's all i've got
0: well thanks a lot for the call
1: my pleasure
0: bye-bye okay. bye-bye okay andrew
5: hi Aaron. i was uh just wanted to bring up a story I thought you might find interesting. And since you're talking about sanctions, I was thinking about the Nord Stream pipeline and just how, you know, sanctions would probably be a response if they had found out that would that uh, a culprit of, that was an adversary of the U.S. was responsible, at the very least, if not a
0: military response. But certainly sanctions, right? Uh, Said against sanctions would be a, a legitimate response if what? Uh, not legitimate.
5: It's the response that would occur if it was discovered that the Nord Stream was taken out by an adversary of the U.S., whether it was Russia or whoever. That would at least be the the, the least. I mean, if not a military response, it would definitely draw sanctions, right? I mean, seems
0: absolutely, obvious. Absolutely, absolutely, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, like like the U.S. sanctions anybody for anything. So <laughs> and yet, and yet,
5: so that being the case, can you imagine Europe sanctioning the United States? Like, if there was a true investigation that found the result was that it was yeah. actually the United States. Yeah. That – the if sanctions were actually this legitimate tool that were just used to enforce international law, then Europe would be pretty quick to sanction the United States, I would imagine.
0: Absolutely. But Absolutely. We'll
5: be, I mean, just saying those words out loud makes you look like a clown. It's so of ridiculous. Course.
0: Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like, inherent – I mean, and that's why even to use the word sanctions, it's like – uh it's 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 downplaying the severity of it because it's like these are like sanctions implies something that is legitimate and is based is is a response to something uh it's a way to hold someone to account when really i mean the the legal term that the un uses is unilateral coercive measures that's what they are it's just the problem is it's harder to say that like i like for me it's easier to say sanctions than it is to say unilateral coercive measures you know what i mean? So it's like just even language makes it easy to normalize sadism because that's what sanctions are, sanctions are sadism. And that's really what I should be calling it is just sadism. But unfortunately, like none of everyone knows what you're talking about when you say that. So um, but yeah, anyway, yes, sanctions are totally there's a power dynamic there that is presupposed to be legitimate, even in saying the word sanctions, because, of course, sanctions are never applied equally. They're only applied against uh, bad guy states yeah
5: i i kind of like the terms that putin uses for this is the international gangsters it it kind of is international international gangsterism where they come up to you and they say you know this is this is what's going to happen on this block and they just enforce it regardless of but it's not a principled enforcement it's a top-down hierarchical enforcement based on the u.s right it's not just like a gang, right? They, they're yeah. not protecting your property, right? <laughs> they're making you pay the protection fee because then, you, but anyway, um, the story was that I, I was using this new uh Bard AI. This Google basically released an AI uh competitor to like Chat GPT. I don't know if you're aware of this.
0: I'm not, no, yeah, no.
5: well, it's totally free. You can just Google Bard and then, okay. uh, no account or whatever, you just talk to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I asked it, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, just because I like toying with these things and just seeing how they work, you know. And uh, it responded, the typical consensus expert response, which is a pro-Ukrainian group, Russia, or some unknown third-party terrorist, right? And I asked it why it didn't list the United States as a potential um, culprit, and it responded that there – I was actually correct. I then and, and apologized to me. And said, "Well, sorry, I should have listed the United States," and but the problem is there's no credible evidence, so I didn't suggest it. And then I kind of said, "Well, you you just admitted in the thing before that there's no credible evidence for anybody, so why did you list the ones you listed?" And it got into this back and forth about speculation and what's reasonable to speculate about based on logic and evidence, which it kept repeating had no evidence for any of them, and. I asked it if it's familiar with uh, Seymour Hersh's reporting. At first I asked if there's any reporting on the Nord Stream from the uh, perspective that the United States was behind it. And it said no. No major outlets have reported on this. And then I asked it if it was familiar with Seymour Hersh. And oh, yeah, sorry. I Actually, I am. <laughs> and then it goes into his article, but hey, it's only based on one speculative thing. So it's basically just repeating this mainstream narrative. Of, it's exactly what you would hear if you talked to someone at the New York Times, right? Well, it's just based on more so. it's just an interesting thing because it. I asked what's the strongest evidence for Hirsch's story, and it listed out that he's you know this very re- respected journalist. And it interestingly mentioned Ray McGovern. And how Ray McGovern has endorsed the the reporting and a little bit about his background. So it's not that these things are like designed to lie to you, but the the information is drawn from like this vision of consensus and expert opinion, which just, you know, serendipity that that reflects exactly the mindset of the kind of liberal elite that run these institutions, (laughs) whether it's the New York times or Silicon Valley, I think.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, What are the odds of that? What a surprise. (laughs) Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, Yeah. Doesn't um, it doesn't inspire much confidence. And I I really hoped, I really hope this whole AI thing is just a fad and this is not going to become like a thing that people rely on. But unfortunately it doesn't look like it's going that way.
5: No, and that's why I bring it up. If it was yeah. just like NFTs or something, I wouldn't mm. really bother, But It does seem like this is the way of the world. I mean, I just got my mom a bird feeder for her birthday has got AI in it, so mm. there's AI bird feeders. I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's getting wow. worse, but anyway,
0: yeah. thanks for your time. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Gator.
6: Hey, Aaron, how's it going? How you doing? I'm um, good, thanks. Um, I just sort of pivot a little bit to ukraine i am just kind of been watching um some of the um various outlet channels on telegram and um i'm not sure if you're familiar with this but the the um very very large recent um weapon strikes by russia appear to have um according to the claims struck depleted uranium stockpiles that the british have put in there and now there are apparently reports of Increased alpha and gamma particles floating across central Ukraine. So, well, I'm that's just, terrible. I, I hope yeah, that's exactly. not
0: true. I hope that's not true. But, and, and,
6: and the, the problem is now that we've gone into this situation where people have said, um, the, the level of madness being that Russia's going to be the one exercising its playbook with a nuclear strike. Then we've got the Ukrainians trying to create Ukrainians shelling their own power plant, and now the Brits have basically potentially contributed to a nuclear event. <laughs> I mean, this is, it's, it's bonkers, you know, and, and I'm wondering the level of insane spin that will be put on, put on this as a result, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be blamed no doubt on Russia.
0: Uh, I really hope that's not true. And it's just, the fact that the UK decided to send depleted uranium to Ukraine, um, that obviously is one of the things that did not get the attention that it deserved. Uh and it's um so I really hope what you're saying is not true. Um you know there have been a lot of rumors recently and uh you know I I've seen Russia recently put out some claims that were not true. Uh so I'm hoping that this is one of them. But um if uh yeah. So what can I say? Um I, I hope that's not true.
6: Yeah, fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. Yes. Take it easy man. You too. All right. Well, on that sad note, uh, we'll end it there uh, because we're out of callers. So thanks to everybody who tuned in, and have a great rest of your weekend. Bye, everybody.